Pursuing that um, in a serious way, believing that everything we want to see come from our lives, everything we want to see our lives become, start to look like, and the change that we want to see, places we want to see our church go together, all that's going to come from us trying to imitate and become like Jesus in every way. One of the oldest um, truths in the Bible, one of the oldest commandments that we have in our faith, God says to be holy, says, be holy because I'm holy. And there's that, that push for imitation and for change and none of us would be here tonight and say, oh no, I see I am holy now, so I'm good. And um, so we've just kind of been talking about what that looks like and the idea of, of preparing our minds for action and for that being an intentional thing, that you don't stumble into holiness. It's not an accident. Um, and so if we're, if we're really going to be serious about that pursuit, then we need to know where to start. And Jesus talked about um, external things in our lives that are indicators of what's going on internally. And so a logical place to start would be to look at our lives on the outside and to trace those symptoms on the outside back to their core um, uh, roots and then find out what's causing some of that. And so last week, we were like, okay, so let's, let's say you get down to the core issue that's there. And so the external things can be a number of different, um, different things from um, our actions, our thoughts, our words, um, just our attitude about things, uh, uh, various displays of, of immaturity, that kind of stuff. And you trace it all back down and you... And you get to these core issues of, um, of pride and self-centeredness and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so you get down to that, that point, and we've asked God to show us where to start in the pursuit of holiness. And he's highlighted some areas, and let's say you trace it back down. And so now you really know what you're dealing with. You know that your, your actions are coming from a place uh, of, inside of you that, that God now wants to refine and to change. So... As we begin to move forward in that, um, there are some, uh, some forces that can hinder that growth. And so last week we talked very honestly about guilt and, um, and, and what a powerful um, uh, hindrance that is that paralyzes us in a sense uh, when it comes to really to growing. And so you get down to that core issue, but, but the guilt that got you there and things from our past and all the things we struggle with and our failures and all that kind of stuff... Um, the guilt of that so often keeps us from moving forward. And, um, and so I told you last week that tonight we were talking about how fear is another one of those forces that, that holds us. Because what good is it to, to, to want to prepare your mind for action and to ask God to show you where to start and he shows you some external thing and, and he traces it back down to this core issue and so you get down and you're dealing with pride or you're dealing with, you know, whatever... And what good is that if you can't move forward from that, if guilt is a barrier there for you? And so um, we asked God last week to help us to not let guilt 
be something that was going to hold us there. Tonight we're going to do the same thing with the issue of fear. Um, and we're going, to be, we're going to look at the story of Gideon, or part of the story of Gideon, in Judges chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and head in that direction. Um, it's in the, the book of Judges, uh, which is um, one of the, just the coolest, uh, the coolest books in the Bible, I think. Um, just great, great storylines, great villains, great heroes, um, just some really good stuff that's going on. Um, judges were appointed by God to, to provide leadership um, during that, this time of transition um, between like Joshua and Samuel. And, and uh, without getting too much into the history, um, Gideon was one, of the, was one of the judges. And this is kind of when he emerges on the scene uh, of the story. And so we're going to kind of look at, at his story for a second and then try to find some parallels and stuff like that when it comes to dealing with fear. So let's look at Judges 6. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord." Okay, so, so we see um, kind of the, the context of, of what's going on. Um, it says in verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so God handed them over. And so this is what it's like for their, their country. They are driven into the hills. They're like living in caves. They are basically hiding all the time. And anytime they would, would if there were any crops, they managed to somehow like have some produce or whatever that would come, and they would think that they're in the clear then these people would come in and they would just ravage the whole place. They would just destroy everything. And so for seven years, they were just hiding and they were scared. And this was all because God had handed them over because they had done what was evil. And um, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. It's not a good time to be an, an Israelite. And um, it's, it's all because of uh, the, the churchy word would be apostasy, which is a great, mean church word if you ever want to condemn somebody. Um, but apostasy is, is basically just a, an abandoning of what you know to be true. Um, they have rebelled, um, they have fallen away, however you want to look at it. Um, but this, them as a nation, this is the boat that they were in, and God was dealing with them in a very just and fair way. Um, and it uh, seems harsh to us, but he's God, so yeah, there you go. Uh, look at verse 7. Actually, in verse 6, it says, the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord, which is what you're supposed to do, right? You're in trouble. You're supposed to cry out for help. And so here's God's response. Verse 7, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites 
in whose land you will dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. The end. <laughs> All right. So they're like, okay, they're crying out to God for help, and he sends somebody to come in there and basically be like, um, I told you so. <laughs> like, you got your, yourself into this situation. God says that he uh, delivered you and handed you over, and he warned you and he, that this is not the path to go down, and he told you, don't, don't do this, and everything will be fine, but you did it anyway, and this is the boat that you're in. It's like, uh, where's compassionate Jesus? <laughs> you know, come make everything okay. Uh, you know, come heal everything, everything and, and like, or whatever. I, this is where they were. And so the, we have to stop at this point and, and jump back into what we have, have been talking about. Um, when we're dealing with a lot of those core issues, they're core issues because we've somehow messed up somewhere. There are mistakes that we've made that have led to those painful points. And so when, when we're dealing with guilt, um, there's a certain amount of like justice that is there. It's like, yes, I feel terrible because, because what I did was terrible. I mean, there's, you know, there, we, we can't get in, into this weird uh, place that seems like our country is, is moving, uh, at least in thought, of there like, never being like, consequences, like any consequence is unfair. You know, like we deserve all this stuff that we don't really deserve. You know, and it's like um, kids never, like you should never tell your kid that they were wrong. You should never punish them. You should never, like whatever. Um, and it, talk, talk to people who teach school, and you, you can see a shift in like, uh, in like b- between the generations and stuff like that of like accountability for your own actions and um, understanding that there are consequences for what you do and um, that there are times when you don't get to call the shots because you're 13, you know, and you're now a teenager and you get to make all your own decisions. It doesn't happen, but it's starting to happen more. It's really, really weird. Um, and so here's, here's where they are as a nation, and I think in a lot of ways it's where we are as individuals um, in a place where we have to acknowledge the fact that we have made mistakes. I don't know why mistakes have become this really, like, bad, daunting thing, but... Um, Sure, we don't want to live lives full of mistakes, but, but we make them. And we're there. And so there, there has to be a certain point, whether it's guilt or it's fear, where we acknowledge the fact that we um, contributed to being in this position. And we have to be accountable for that. So that's what, make, what God tells them. Look at verse 11. Here's where we see the fear creep in. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. Oprah, all right, yeah, okay. Everybody's like, I'm paying attention now. Um, sat underneath the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Okay, so here's Gideon. And he is hiding because he doesn't want the Midianites to know that they have wheat. And, um, and so he's, he's down. And basically what, what you would do, like typically whenever you would do this with wheat, you would do it in a place where the wind could blow and you would throw it in the air and all the little the outside husk part would blow away and all the good stuff would fall down. So you would do it up where you could be seen. But he's down and he's hiding in a wine press where there's no breeze. So it's probably like very, very futile. You know, he's probably like just keeps throwing it, nothing separating, he doesn't know why, um, because he's terrified of what's going on. And I think you and I would be just as scared. 
Most of us have never been in a position where someone like wants to kill us or steal what we have or anything like that. I remember being in middle school and um, I, I went from like, you know, um, little house on the prairie kind of elementary school environment to an inner city middle school environment. And it was the first time I had, like, I ever had people who just wanted to steal the things that I had. And it was like not judging anything at all. I'd just never been in an environment where like you needed to watch your stuff. So I would like go to school with something and I would come back without it. And I couldn't explain it to my parents. I was like, I, I mean, I left, I went to lunch and I came back and it was all gone. And my parents were like, yeah, that's the, the real world. Like it's not full of like all your Sunday school buddies, you know, like there are people who just take stuff when they see it. And, and I had to, to, to learn. And that's honestly probably the most, um, dangerous environment I've ever been in. So I'm just not really <laughs> exposed to a situation like this where I can be like, Gideon was such a wuss, you know? I've never been there, um, and I hope to never be there. But if, if our entire country was, anytime something good happened, this army that he describes as being like a locust would come in and just take everything and kill people and do whatever, we would probably also be a little bit afraid. So let's not judge Gideon too quickly um, for being like a big wuss. But here's, there, there's that fear that comes in. And as the story goes, we, we see a little bit more about like, what's going on in his mind. So he's down this wine press and he's hiding. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. <laughs> Which that makes me laugh. Doesn't make you laugh. Okay. Um, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, as he's in the hole, okay, throwing the weed up. All right. Not exactly um, Maximus. But um, the verse 13. Gideon said back to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. All right? Maybe, maybe some of the most relatable words in Scripture ever. Doesn't he have a point? Where he's like, okay, our, our fathers and our like, grandparents and our whole nation follows this faithful God who works all these miracles and delivers people from oppression and it got them out of Egypt. And I've heard all these stories and all these stories and all these stories. And I want to know where the heck is that God right now in this moment? Why am I down in this wine press scared for my life? Why is my entire nation hiding in caves right now? Where, where is that gracious, compassionate loving, powerful God right now. And I think we've all been there at times. Maybe we don't vocalize it like that. Maybe we're not gutsy enough to just get mad at God. But we've, I think we've been there before. We've been in places where, where God has been completely just showing off in somebody else's life, and he's just doing all these amazing things, and we feel like he's like maybe just focused everything on them. He's got nothing left over for us. Maybe, maybe you look at... at at a church that's just flourishing and growing and they're having all this stuff and they have all this money and they're doing all this stuff and then we look at our church and we're like, we don't have a building, we don't have this, we don't have uh, whatever. Why is God, where, where is that God in, in my situation? You watch people, um, it's like, this is one of, the, one of the weirdest things. Like, take, let's take an addiction. All right, I'll just use, I'll be very vague. Let's say that there's an addiction, like a substance addiction. Why does God completely take someone who is an alcoholic, they 
um, meet Jesus for the first time, and they had never desired to take another drink for the rest of their lives. And then someone else struggles with that substance abuse for the rest of their days. Why do some people get rescued completely, and some people, why are some people left there you know, to fight through it? We've all been there when we're comparative, and we just want to know, where is he now? Let me point out a couple, of, a couple of things that I think pertain to fear. You get down to those core issues. I think there's, I think there's three things that we see here in the story with Gideon that, that connect to us in dealing with those fears. You get down to it, and we're terrified of moving forward for whatever reason. One thing that I think we have in common with him is he's incredibly like, focused on the circumstances that, that exist around him. You know, He's um, talking about Midian and like, where's God and... and, and and he gets into that, and he's just really just zeroing in on the circumstances, on the things that he can, can see. And I think we can connect with that. Because when you get down to that core issue and you start getting ready to move forward, sometimes you just get overwhelmed with the weight of what is ahead. That if you're really going like, to start to pursue growth in this area, and, and, you, and, and then you really want that to happen... Um, you're just overwhelmed by what that's going to take from you, of, of what might happen. And, and human nature, like, uh, like very few times do we just not even think about what the next couple steps are and what that might do to us or whatever. So a lot of times we'll play out all these different like, scenarios and stuff, and it's always worst case. And we're like, well, man, if I do this, then this is going to happen, and they're going to say this, and this is going to happen. Next thing you know, I don't know if I can handle that. And um, it's like, uh, like George McFly, Back to the Future, and he just doesn't want to do anything because he's not sure if he can handle that kind of rejection, so he just does nothing. And so many times we look at, at those circumstances that are there, and it's so daunting that just the weight of what, of what might happen, and the things that we see and things that could happen, they, they, they keep us from doing anything at all. So just like guilt can be a paralyzing force, fear can do the same thing. Gideon's terrified because he looks around him and he sees all this stuff. And if we're not careful, we can be the same way in, in dealing with, with those things that God is leading us to deal with. Another thing that we see, look at verse, look at verse 15. All right, let's go back to 14 because we skipped it. Um, 14 says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Look at that. How, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, okay, in their tribe. All the tribes are Israel, broken down into tribes, and tribes down into clans. And he's saying he was in the smallest tribe in the smallest clan. So he's like, okay, you look at this whole nation of, of potential leaders, and who in the world am I to do that? He's clearly afraid of failing. And I think we can relate to that. And you say, who, who am I to do this? I mean, surely there's someone better qualified and whatever. And the Bible's full of people who are, were afraid of, because they didn't think that they were so qualified. But all that does, that's, that's an external issue. And all that's exposing is a fear of failure. And we all have a fear of failure. And maybe it's because from a very young age, we're taught that failure is bad. And we're punished when we fail, and we're rewarded when we succeed. 
And it kind of shapes in us this weird deal where, where not only do we not like to fail, um, but failure like affects us emotionally. And we get to this point where we're so afraid of failing that we don't even want to try stuff anymore. Now, different than when you just aren't good at something, you know. I think like, we've all had those things in life where we've like tried for a while and just eventually quit because you were just terrible, you know. I'm sure everybody, there's probably enough plastic clarinets and closets in this room uh, to uh, supply a small town band uh, for a while. Um, but there, we all have those things, piano lessons, you know, sports, you know, different things where we tried it and there's just, you know, you should not very good at it or whatever. There's something weird about, like, just straight up failing. And one part of it is that uh, we, you just don't like to know you can't do something. Like, it, it has this way of, like, it's like a big blow to your ego. And you're like, man, not only, like, am I not good, like, I can't do that. We feel like we should be able to do everything. We don't like to fail. We're, we get crushed when we do fail. We get made fun of when we fail. We watch um, a, a whole culture where the people who fail get left behind and the ones who pass or whatever, they move ahead of us. And it builds this fear. Now you apply that to... Or your spiritual life, and you get down to those core issues, and you're like, look, I, I know that this is what God's want me to deal with, and you start trying to move forward, and maybe something kicks in, and you're like, wait a minute, I've, I've done this before. I've, I've tried to change this about me before, and I made it about three days, and I've done that about 20 times, and I'm just tired of failing so why even try? Because I'm probably just going to fail again. And so maybe it's maybe you failed over and over again. Maybe you failed in other things and you just don't want to try this. Maybe you tie that to the circumstances. You're like, because of what it's going to take, I don't think I've got what it takes to make it through. And so we're afraid to fail. That's why we don't go into like a community group and say, hey, I need you all to pray for me because this is what I'm working on in my life and I want, I want some accountability <laughs> oh, we don't do that, do we? No. Because you ask for accountability, and, I mean, hopefully you get it somehow, you know, if we're paying attention to each other's lives, and someone asks how you're doing, you don't want to admit that you've messed up. So you either lie, or you, you know, have a tearful breakdown and hope that compassion kicks in and they don't, like, make fun of you or whatever, uh, uh, or whatever. But, like, that's so often why we don't ask for accountability, because we assume on the front end that we're going to fail at things. And because we think failure is so, such a terrible thing, we don't want to get that ball rolling. Now, if we lived in, in the true grace of Christ, we would realize that failure is not the worst possible outcome of trying. That this is not school. You're not going to fail math and be held back. There's not this big hammer that's going to come down and crush your life because you failed at something. I'm not saying we need to go about and just keep fail, 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 and not worry about it. But we can't be so afraid of messing up that it hinders us from pursuing what we know God's called us to pursue. I think one of the biggest problems is that we, we make these big commitments, you know. It's like, I'm going to fast for the next year. 
what? <laughs> okay. Go big or go home, I guess. I mean, maybe we need to start off a little more attainable and then we won't worry about failing so much. Maybe if our approach is, I'm going to abide in Christ today. If we realize that the grace of, if we realize that the grace of Jesus is the grace of Jesus, I don't think we'd be as afraid. I think when we ask for accountability and we ask for prayer and we open up our lives to people, we don't do it necessarily just doubting, you know, and expecting to fail, but we're also not so terrified of failing, you know. I, so I think we can all see why that's such a hindrance. I think we've all been in places where we just don't even want to try because we don't know if we could take that kind of failure. With, within that, even in Gideon's story, we see another thing within failure. Is there's this incredible fear of man. That addiction to the approval of one another that we all struggle with. Because whenever someone says, who am I to do this? One thing he's saying is, I don't want to fail. Another thing he's saying is, I don't want to look stupid. Why else would he say, I'm from the smallest tribe. My, mine is the weakest clan in the smallest tribe. Who am I to jump up there and be the leader, to be the judge of Israel, to be like, who, whatever. And see, a fear of what other people think, that's, that's a pretty powerful hindrance as well. That's another reason why we don't open up to one another as easily and share the things that we're struggling with and going through. Because you're like, man, if I, if I tell my community group this, I'm terrified of the looks I'm going to get. I'm terrified of how of people treating me differently. And you know why that is? Because we've worked so hard for so long to make sure people think a certain way about us. And dealing with the core issue and moving forward and the fact that it requires discipline and prayer and accountability and community and all those things, um, the fact that it requires all that means that uh, that's a threat to our approval of other people. Because you know what? You may share something that you're struggling with, and they may not look at you all glowingly and like you're holy and whatever. People may look at you a little bit surprised and maybe a little bit disappointed. And they may not know what to say, and they may just, like, it may just get really awkward, and they may just move on to the next topic, and you're like, wait, I just dropped a bomb right here, and nobody even responded. And I mean, that's one of the things in community that we're trying to learn how to do, is like, how do we deal with the hard stuff? And unfortunately, we drop the ball sometimes, because we don't like awkwardness. We like everything to be smooth, and nobody rocked the boat, and, you know, whatever. And every now and then, someone throws out this prayer request, and you're just like, I'm so glad I'm not the leader right now. Because <laughs> I would have no idea what to do after that came out there. But you know what? The, the more we begin to do that, the more we begin to, to refuse to let our, our addiction to the approval of man rule us, the less awkward that's going to become, the more normal that's going to be. 
Gideon was terrified of what people were going to think. That held him back. And I bet every single one of us, in various degrees, are terrified of moving forward in obedience to what God's called us to do because we're afraid of having those conversations. We're afraid of the looks we're going to get. We're afraid of the reactions that are going to have because it's going to shatter this little happy world that we've worked so hard to create. You know what? That's bull. All that is bull. And we know it. You know, like we know, we know what a big lie it is. And that's where that tension is, is the things that we are afraid of, we know that they are false. We know that there's no harm that can come to us. And so whether it's circumstances that are just, we're completely overwhelmed by, and we're like, where is God in this? I don't see him. Or, or whether it's the approval of man that's going to shatter, or whether we're totally afraid of failure, or whether it's rejection we're afraid of, or we're afraid of making a mistake, or afraid of letting people down, we're afraid, you name it, whatever the fears are, we have to deal with those. We have to call them out for what they are. And what God does so perfectly is he addresses these issues that Gideon has uh, in just some very strong and powerful ways, and it connects directly to our lives. I mean, let's, let's look at them real quick. Uh, look back at verse 12. And the, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. NIV says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. If you want to fight approval issues, like if you really just wrestle and struggle with trying to please everybody and that and you're afraid of whatever and that is the thing that's holding you back, this, this needs to be one of your verses that you own. We look at Gideon as a chicken who's scared. And maybe we can relate to him, but that's how we see him. And the Lord shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. See, it's what God says about you that matters. What God says about you is what is important. And I know that's a tough thing to weigh, is you have all the approval of all these people who are in your face and in your life, and they're all all the time, and you have the opinion of God. And it's easy for me as the preacher to be like, well, you just need to not worry about what they think and just worry about what he thinks. I understand on paper that, like, it should go this way. You know, that's uh, hands down. Approval, opinion of God matters way more than that. But I, I also understand, like, how difficult that is in my own life that I can say that and it would not be fair of me just to throw it out there and act like it's the easiest thing in the world. But that's why we have to to let Scripture do what it's supposed to do. That through the Spirit at work among us, when we look at that and we see Him say, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That God looks at you and He has an opinion that is completely different than, that, than what man would say or than what circumstances would dictate or whatever. And the honest truth is it goes just like this, that that is the approval that, ma- that matters. So if we struggle with the, dealing with the approval of man, that begins, that's what we go after. If that's your fear, then you attack that fear in prayer. And you go before the Lord and you say, I'm terrified of what people think about me and that is holding me back. I need you to change my perspective. I need you to remind me of who I am and how you see me. 
And while I may be cowering in fear, you look at me as your child that you are proud of, that you are completely on my side, that you look at me as a man of valor, as a mighty warrior. You see me for the potential that is there and the things that you want to do with my life. And you attack that and you start praying about that and you pray and you pray and you pray and you watch that barrier start to crumble. It will, it will happen. And you know what you start doing? You start doing things intentionally to keep people from being able to approve you. You stop working so hard to make sure people think that you're something that you're not. I'm not saying you go around and air your business all the time because that is not what we need. We don't need to know that. But you know what? We also don't need you to update your Facebook status every time you do something nice. We don't. We don't need you to blog about all your, like how great you are, the great things that you've done or whatever. If that's something you battle, then you begin to remove those things from your life. I mean, doesn't that make sense? If I struggle with trying to keep all of you happy all the time, then I have to begin to, to remove the things that I put in front of you to make you approve of me. When Jesus talked about the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing, there needs to be a little bit of secrecy, healthy secrecy, but that's how you overcome the fear of man. You just remove the option. Jesus said people, these guys are standing up on the street corners and they're praying so everybody can hear them. And they've received their reward in full because everybody can hear them. That's the only reward they ever get is they're heard. Jesus said, if you want the approval of the Father, you go into your room, you close the door, you talk to him in private. And that's when God's going to reward you. So he's saying remove man from the picture and then all you have there, the approval there is God. And you might be saying, okay, now isn't that the opposite of what you are just saying about sharing with your community group or sharing with people in your life and asking for accountability? No, 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 it, it all goes in there with it. Because if you go in there and you completely open up your life to them, then you're removing that, that little God of approval from their power. Because you're destroying all that, all that stuff. There's nothing for them to approve. All they can do is respond in grace and, and with love and with prayer and whatever. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, man of valor. So that's how God trumps that approval addiction that Gideon has. Look at the, the next thing. Skip down to verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. He said, look, I'm the one sending you to do this. The fact that this was God's idea, that God is the one that initiated this, that's how you fight a fear of failure. That when you've worked your way down to the core issue and you're moving forward and those fears kick in and you're like, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I can do this, God says, you know what? This is my idea, not yours. So stop trying to do my job. So he told Gideon, he's like, look, I am, is it not me that's sending you? Like, aren't I the one that's doing this, that it's my idea, that I'm the one knocking down the first domino? Like, I, it's, it's me, right? That's what God says to us. Like, look, this isn't your brilliant plan for your life to, to push into something difficult. Of course not. We always go for the easy way. God's like, look, this is my idea. And every time I have an idea, I will bless the heck out of it. 
I will blow your mind with how much I will um, completely pour my blessings onto it. See, that, that's how we overcome that fear of failure. We, can, we, we can't fail when we're walking obediently in the things that God's called us to. Now, I'm not saying we won't have little struggles and we won't stumble and fall along the way. But if you're moving forward, you're moving forward. If we define failure as having to get every single thing right all the time, then maybe we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Maybe if our deal is like, I'm just going to keep moving forward, and if I mess up, I'm going to move forward in that mess up, like we talked about last week. Like acknowledge and whatever, but don't let guilt be paralyzing. You keep moving forward. It redefines the mission for us. That's how we deal with failure. Look at, um, look at verse 16. The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. See, earlier in 12, he said, I'm with you, mighty warrior. And here he's saying again, I'm with you. It's, it's the presence of God. That is what helps us to not let circumstances overwhelm us and get the best of us. Because you focus on circumstances, you focus on what is seen. And all throughout God's word, he's trying to tell us, like, look, look around and let the, the things that you see play the role that it's supposed to play. But remember, it is not what is seen, it is what is unseen that is most important. Unseen is greater than seen all the time. He's telling Gideon, like, look, I'm going to be with you, and when I am present, everything is taken care of. You need to know that I'm present, regardless of what you feel what the circumstances are that you think are telling you or whatever. Because the presence of God changes everything. That's how we fight our fear of circumstances. Is we let them play their proper role. And their role is not to tell us anything about God. We don't let things get overwhelmed. Because the truth is, God may, he may, in his sovereignty and his amazing wisdom, he may remove from your life every single bit of evidence that he is near. But he's still near. He does that. And he does it with purpose. And it's not fun. Do you know how much you grow when you're in those Situations where like, I don't see a drip of evidence of Jesus anywhere around me, but I'm going to trust that he's here anyway. That's maturity, that's depth, and we're facing our fears, and we get there, and that fear is wanting to hold us back because of the circumstances and the weight of what may be ahead. We have to keep in mind that because Jesus is involved in it, anything can, can happen. Like the prayer request cards say, Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. And because of that, there's nothing to fear. So we have Gideon who's afraid. We have God show up who addresses those fears because of his presence, because it is his idea and he's the one that is initiating it, because his opinion of Gideon is different and far superior 
than Gideon's opinion of himself or anybody else. Skip down. Let's, let's read the rest of the story real quick. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. He said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from, uh, from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out, reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the, Lord, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, and listen to this, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Look back at verse 23. When you're in a place and you're dealing with fear, maybe you're here tonight in the last couple weeks, God's just been messing with your life, and He's been like walking you through all this, and you know the things that He wants you to deal with, and we are, listen, we are all naturally resistant to that. For whatever reason. These are the same truths that God whispers to us through His Word tonight to reach into wherever we are. It says, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. The peace of God removes fear. When He says, You shall not die, that really just means, look, everything's going to be okay. I love the fact that God knows when we're terrified. He knows the silly things we're afraid of, and He's the solution to all of them. And I don't know where this fits into your life and into your journey, but I know that God is doing stuff, and I know during the 30 days of prayer that there's just a lot working against us. Because as a church prays, it's like things get really difficult. And so now's the time to not let guilt be a barrier, to not let fear hold us back, and to walk obediently into the things that God's calling us to. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And um, you know the things that concern us. You know the, um, the various things we're afraid of. You know the things that we feel guilty about. You know the, the, the other things besides fear and guilt that are, are barriers to us, that are holding us back. 
But God, we know that you're stirring our hearts and our minds. God, that you are, are calling us, pushing us forward. And God, we need your help to lay aside those fears and concerns, the things that bring that anxiety up in us, just thinking about having to deal with it, thinking about having to have tough conversations, thinking about having to make changes, thinking about having to confess and admit that we've messed up. God, we know that you're here with us and that your presence changes everything. And so help us tonight, God, to just even in this time that remains, to deal with those fears and concerns. Knowing that you look at us and you see men and women of valor. You see men and women who are mighty warriors. That we think we're terrified and, and we're little chickens, but you look at us and you see something different. And because you initiate something in us, God, that's not going to fail. Help us to move forward. God, what that means, we, we sing through it tonight a little bit, or we pray through it tonight. It's a continuation of a process you've already begun. Whatever, it means different things to all of us. God, just help us in these few moments we have together. to sense your leadership and to obediently step out there to conquer those fears and to trust you with all of our hearts. Isaiah 43 says this, says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I'll bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. <laughs>